Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. You're listening to Linux in the Ham Shack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source and amateur radio for everyone. Now here are your hosts, Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello and welcome everybody to episode number 242 of Linux in the Ham Shack. We have the usual cast of characters here tonight, and we have a guest who we will introduce shortly. But before that, I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. All right, so we're just going to kind of jump right into it. Cheryl, I think, is going to get up and leave, right? Cheryl Cheryl is going to Bill. She has company here. (laughs) She's entertaining. (laughs) Well, kind of. We've been putting together gift baskets, so we need to finish that up. Yeah, so Cheryl is entertaining, and we're not. Uh, you can be entertaining sometimes we we try we do our best yeah but since cheryl is going away we figured we would bring someone else in who can talk about some interesting things that are ham radio and open source related uh in a in a big way this is something we have talked about on the show before but we have not had this particular guest on our program in almost or maybe more than five years so yeah been a long time but I will introduce him now. His name is David Rowe. His call sign is VK5DGR, and he's in Adelaide, down under. So, good e- well, morning for you, David. <laughs> yeah, good morning to you, and thanks for having me on the show again. Well, thank you for doing the short time, uh, short notice uh, yes to uh, my inquiry and uh, coming back on the show. <laughs> yeah, it's out at like 2 o'clock this morning, our time. <laughs> yeah, it, it was a reasonable time for him. So well, that's, 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 that's the important true, thing. yeah. So, uh, but he is going to have some very interesting things to say, and uh, we're going to have a good talk about some of the projects that we've talked about before and some of the new ones that have come about since the last time we've talked and some of the changes that have happened to the things we have mentioned before. Um, one of the things you're most known for, David, that we talked about with you originally was Codec 2, the open source audio codec. And I know you've made a lot of advancements and refinements to the codec in the last five years. So maybe if you would kind of recap what Codec 2 is and uh, what's changed over uh, the last five cycles around the sun. Yeah, sure. Yeah, five years, long time. Okay, so Codec 2 is an open source, uh, low bitrate speech codec. Um, most other speech codecs are closed source and proprietary, and you're not allowed to mess with them or um, compile them on the platform of your choice, whereas uh, Codec 2 is all open source. So uh, I guess in the last five years, um, I've been doing a lot of work with getting Codec 2 to work well over um, HF radio channels. Um and uh, that's involved developing a bunch of modems to work with it and forward error correction, as well as pushing the bit rate down a bit, uh, well, down significantly. So we're currently uh, the latest uh, FreeDV mode, which is the combination of Codec 2 and the modem and forward error correction. That's That whole system's called FreeDV. Uh, that's running at around 700 bits per second. 
and um, that's usable for um, speech communication over HF. All right, fantastic. So you said something about pushing the, the bit rate down. I don't remember what the bit rate was at when we talked to you the first time. I want to say it was like 1,400 bits per second or something like that, or maybe a little higher than that. Um, yeah. how, how well have you got it down now? Yeah, that's right. The original um, FreeDV mode uh, was called FreeDV 1600, and that included the speech codec at um, 1,300 bits per second plus a little bit of overhead for forward error correction bits so that the, the bit rate over the channel is around 1600 so we've pretty much halved the speech codec rate down to around 700 bits per second uh, at the moment there's even an experimental 450 bits per second mode that's um recently been contributed by um a german student as part of his masters um one of the nice things about being open source is it's available for everyone to experiment and that's quite useful for people doing research well fantastic so I mean, you obviously are trying to make sure that the audio is intelligible no matter how low you go with the bit rate. So how does a 450 bit per second voice sound? Well, it sounds, uh, you know, sometimes it's hard to understand and other times it comes through pretty well. Um, one of the problems with the speech coding is making it work well for a whole lot of different voices and that's one of the challenges. But, you know, it works okay. The 700 bits per second codec we've targeted... Um, to be competitive with single sideband at very low signal-to-noise ratios at that point where SSB is getting hard to understand. Um, and that works pretty well down at those uh, SNRs, you know, down to about minus 2 dB or so. Excellent. So you're going to try and be the voice competitor to FT8, which seems to be taking over the amateur radio bands right now. Yeah, that's right. Well, they, they sort of use similar ideas. Um, you know, you get the modem right and a bit of uh, forward error correction and, and compression message enough, you can get through it to very low signal-to-noise ratios. Voice, real-time voice, unfortunately, is a bit higher bit rate, so you need a little bit more uh, signal-to-noise there to get it through. Yeah, absolutely. You're never going to get it down to the level of a digital mode because when you have that little information, you can't really recreate uh, the human voice, for, for sure, at least not intelligibly so. So. <laughs> Um, Bill, you had some points here you wanted to touch on, and you've done a little bit more research this time around than I have, so I'll let you ask a few questions of David. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, suddenly, oh, I'm supposed to be part yeah, of this, too. You oh. this? That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, uh, so yeah, so we have the, what the current version of FreeDV is, what, the uh, 700D? Is that what we're talking about? With the uh, Codec 2 2200? Yeah, sure, your FreeDV um supports a variety of different modes um you can run it using a, a gui a cross-platform gui program and uh, that's got little uh, mode buttons for the various modes so um the 1600 modes still in pretty wide use um and uh, also there's 700d and a few other experimental modes as well yeah yeah so i also was looking here at your current projects and you showed the uh the sm2000 and this looks like some kind of vhf uhf uh kind of uh, brother to the SM-1000. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, a few years ago, um, we ran a few tests and worked out we might have something competitive for VHF and UHF radio. Um, in particular, with the right speech codec, the right modem, it looks like we can push down to very low signal-to-noise ratios, maybe 10 dB better than um, FM, analog FM and the current digital uh, uh, voice modes that are out there for UHF, VHF. So we started building the SM-2000 as a way to test that. So it's a, sort of like a ground-up radio design specifically for free uh, dv modes we made good progress progress on that for a while but then life's got in the way unfortunately so it's been a bit delayed however the um 
the actual um, modes we've developed are available in software, and they can also run on SDRs. So there's a few people um, experimenting with those, and, and that's one of the modes that's also available on the FreeDV GUI program. It can be hooked up to a, um, uh, a regular FM radio and run through that. Oh, so you can run all the FreeDV uh, modems right over top of FM as well. Not all of them. Um, one of the tricks is to get high performances we need um, for some of the more advanced experimental modes is we need to uh, bypass the FM modulator and discriminator. They're a cause of a, a lot of the performance woes um, with modems. But some of the modes we've designed to be compatible with legacy uh, FM radios. Well, that would be a great uh, a great thing if uh, <laughs> there was something to replace you know, D-Star, Fusion, and all these other ones that are uh, sort of proprietary and require that ambi chip and and uh, that this could run it all in software and could get enough of a footprint out there, uh, being an open and available product, that would be uh, that would be pretty spectacular. Yeah, that would be pretty cool. Yeah, the other thing we've noticed is I think we can get better performance as well. So it's not just um, the open um, aspect, which is cool enough, but to actually be able to get um, better performance, um, I think that's what's possible in the future. Trick is, of course, you know, a fair bit of work to develop a custom radio, and uh, there aren't too many of us working on it. So uh, that's a sort of a, a project that needs to be pushed forward a little bit with some more hands and, uh, and soldering irons. Well, speaking of custom radio, this was something I was just thinking about. Um, we've talked recently with the folks over at Flex Radio, and one of the things they tout is that they're basically a hardware platform looking for some software. And I know that Codec 2 has been implemented in the Flex Radio multiverse. Um, so are, are you involved with that at all in, in getting that to be used uh, with that kind of platform or other SDR platforms uh, for doing voice communication with, with that sort of... Uh, embedded in the hardware yeah there, I, i'm sort of um there's another guy uh, brady o'brien uh, who's been doing some work porting the more recent free dv modes to the flex um, system and i think they're up to the 700 b b or c perhaps c that was some work done late last year since then we've released the 700 d mode which is much higher performance so i'm not sure if that's running in the flex ecosystem just yet all right, very cool. This this SDR and the the idea of programming codecs into hardware and having a platform that's sort of agnostic to uh, the data or the voice path that you put over it is kind of a, a really neat thing to me anyway. I hope it's uh, interesting to other folks as well. Uh, so the SM2000 and the SM1000, those are both the the hardware modems, I guess, um, or am I thinking of something else? I think the SM1000 was like the HF hardware modem that was supposed to do the dual sound card and all of that, and so you you had one piece of hardware that did all that for you for free DV? Yeah, that's right. The, the SM1000 is a replacement for the computer and the sound card. It's a little blue box that you can just hook up to a HF radio and get going with free DV 1600. We're also in the process of porting the latest 700D mode to that. It's got a little microcontroller. Also, the, the SM1000 is a complete commercial product. They're for sale right now, whereas the SM2000 is an R&D project uh, sitting on the bench. But I'm sure you hope to have that to be a real thing here before too long. Yeah, or something that derivative. It's kind of an experimental thing and uh, testing a lot of new concepts, so not quite sure where that will fall out. As you say, these days it's possible to set um, the same algorithms uh, on SDR platforms and uh, just have them implemented in software. All right, fantastic. Um, what was the other thing I was thinking of here before we move on? Oh, as far as FreeDV is concerned, um, I have, you know, after the first time we talked, I, I've used FreeDV. I've actually been on HF and, you know, started up the FreeDV application and, and got out there with my uh, two sound card configuration and, and actually made a contact or two. But of late, I've been finding 
that trying to get a QSO started uh, using FreeDB has been rather difficult. Now, I know there's the QSO Finder for FreeDB. It's a web application where it's supposed to allow you to find other people who are using FreeDB, but there's almost never anyone in there. So um, are you or is anybody associated with FreeDB trying to promote adoption or use of FreeDB, or are you just putting it out there as a theory and letting whoever uses it use it? Yeah, something like that. I mean, my main interest is in pushing the art of digital voice forward, and there's a fair bit of work that goes into the software already, so it's hard for me to also run the um, the advocation size aside. But there are quite a few groups. They're on freetv.org who have regular skeds. We have one here in Australia on 40 metres, and we get quite a lot of activity uh, uh, on, on 40 metres on Sunday mornings. And there's another quite a group of um, guys who are quite um, active in the... Uh, uh, Houston area, south east of your country, I think. Um, and, uh, so there's SCEDs and, and they, they're active as well. And it's also groups in the Netherlands, Europe, the UK. So there's people out there if you want to make a contact. But, uh, yeah, we're not exactly, uh, blowing up the airwaves with 3DV uh, traffic <laughs> at the moment. <laughs> Which is okay. It doesn't have to have wide acceptance. It's uh, certainly about the conceptual nature of Kodak 2 and pushing the art of uh, highly compressible voice forward and, and using it in the future, I'm sure. Um, and, and that's where you just said your main focus is. So I can understand that to a certain extent. Um, do you know of any sites other than freedv.org that sort of ha- do they, does anybody have like a clearinghouse of information on like who uses it and when and things like that? These nets that you mentioned and some, and so on. Yeah, that's on the front page of freedv.org. Just down the bottom there, there's a list of nets and times and frequencies and the, the geographic area uh, that they cover. All right. So Bill put in here, and I guess I could let him ask the question, but I won't. Um, the uh, the SM1000 and the actual hardware platform for uh, HF Digital Voice using the Kodak 2 and FreeDV, um, how did, how, what was the response to that? I mean, did it, did it go over well? I mean, did you, did it do what you expected, I suppose? Yeah, it works really well. Um, and, you know, we've sold several hundred of the things. Um, they keep selling. So people are using them. Um, and it's also, there's a bit of a developer community around it. There's quite a few people who are interested in, in um, working on it, um, developing code for it. Being a, a cool open source embedded product, it's um, you can actually get in there and modify it if you want to. So had quite a few contributions uh, from other people and working with a few people at the moment on the code. Um, it works well. Um, it's a little embedded unit without an operating system. So um, that was the first time I'd done – I've done a lot of work with embedded Linux, and this was the first time I'd done something uh, without an operating system. But the cool thing is it boots like a uh, an old-school AM radio. You switch it on and voice starts coming out um, straight away. It just syncs up and does its thing. <laughs> so, yeah, that's uh, had a pretty good response, and we're quite happy with the, uh, the product. It's quite stable, no real bugs with the hardware. Um, but the main aim now is to get the, the firmware up, up to date and um, get the new modes running on it. Excellent. And before I let Bill have the floor once again, <laughs> I want to ask one more question about FreeDV itself, uh, the software application FreeDV. Uh, how involved were you in the development of that? And is were, were you enough involved in the actual development of the FreeDV you know, GUI application, not Codec 2, to be able to talk a little bit about the you know, installation setup and configuration of FreeDV if someone wanted to, to kind of jump into that? 
Uh, yeah, well, I guess I've, I'm currently maintaining the FreeDV GUI application as well as um, Codec2 and uh, all the associated DSP software. So happy to answer questions. In terms of setup, um, there's a couple of mailing lists, uh, one the Digital Voice Google Group and the Codec2 list where if people have questions about setup, various rigs and things, that's a good way to post it because there are you know, hundreds if not thousands of people who have set it up and um, they've probably so- solved the same problem you have in the past. One thing I did find out about FreeDV in all the times that I've had to set it up because I've reinstalled the operating system on my Shack computer many, many times, uh, and I've always reinstalled FreeDV when I've done that. But when you're in the GUI where you're configuring the sound card, because you have two sound cards, basically, which can either be physical or virtual, but in either case, uh, there is a reference sound device. And when you're configuring those, you have to configure one for inbound audio and one for outbound audio, but you have to configure them at the same time. You can't you can't configure the inbound audio, click save, and then go in and click the out and set the outbound audio and click save because that never works. If you if you're going to configure the application, you have to do both audio devices at the same time and save them at the same time. Otherwise, the configuration basically disappears. I don't know if that would be considered a bug, um, but I've noticed that every time I've tried to set it up. Yeah, I haven't experienced that one myself. If you can sort of um, post the exact steps um, to reproduce it, I'd be happy to take a look. Um, yeah, I do tend to set up both um, sound cards at the same time, though, so it might just be something I haven't uh, fallen through. <laughs> you also have the option <laughs> to set up um, none on the transmit side if you just want to receive station. That's a good way to get started. Uh, it's usually what it is is the bit rate um, because it defaults, I think, to 48,000, um, if, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, on the sound card, but if you if you set forty eight thousand on one and don't set it on the other, it will default to forty eight thousand. If you need it to be you know forty one two or whatever, it it doesn't set properly. I guess I can go through it again uh, and see, and uh, maybe file a bug report if it uh, <laughs> does it again. But I, I've never you know every time I've set one without setting the other, the one of the settings is set incorrectly. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I um, it will trap you if it doesn't have the right set of sample rates. There's a lot of um, sort of back and forth, like your speech samples going in one sound card then get turned into modem samples that go out another, so things need to match up a little bit there. But, yeah, sure, if you can reproduce it and you think it's a bug, uh, post it to the mailing list and we'll take a look. All right, it's probably not that important. But the other thing I noticed about it is the waterfall or the way the waterfall works in the free DV world is kind of different. Um in a lot of other applications like um, you know PSK thirty one LX or uh, FL Digi or something like that, you have a waterfall that shows you a band pass or pass band, not a band pass, uh, a pass band, and you can sort of see like peaks and valleys that indicate a signal, or you can see um, you know a line that comes down through the waterfall that indicates a signal. There, there really sort of isn't that with three dB. There's no way to use the waterfall to find a signal. If you understand what I'm saying, I, d- I didn't know if that was something that could be done or if it's just the way three dB works, where you can't really do that. It's either the waterfall is showing a signal or it isn't. Yeah, uh, it's basically capturing the eight kilohertz and, uh, or sorry, the four kilohertz of the yeah, SSB radio spectrum. And three dB uses up a big chunk of that, usually around a kilohertz or so. So you're not going to be able to see multiple. Uh, signals with the regular audio type interface to your, your SSB radio. It's a much wider signal than, say, PSK31 or something. Is is there a new way to sort of expand that, maybe like the, an SDR receiver would be, where you actually show like a really wide passband, or is it just so big that it there's no way to really conceivably do that? 
There's no feature at the moment. Conceivably, you know, if you had a very high sample rate going into it, like not from an audio card, but from a um, maybe an SDR or something, then you could probably modify it to do that if you wanted to. I accept patches. So anyone wants to add a feature, <laughs> send it in. <laughs> ah, thank you for knocking the ball back in my court. I appreciate that. All right, Bill, go for it. Yeah, so uh, so along with all this great free DB stuff, um, I happened to be looking at the, some of the Winlink stuff, and I caught a, a, a chat between uh, you and the developers over there on their developer list about RDOP. Uh, what can you tell us about ARDOP? Yeah, well, that's an interesting uh, open source story. Um, when I got first started in applying Codec 2 to HF Radio, um, I had some really interesting chats with some of the RDOP guys because they were doing a lot of open source uh, um, HF modems and uh, they told me uh, you know, how they worked and taught me a little bit of information I went and ran, ran with it from there and then you know five years later um, <laughs> I worked pretty hard on getting a, a really good HF modem working well it had to be good enough for digital voice so I went through many iterations um, and then I went back to RDOP and um, found out that it was outperforming what they had so I said hey guys look I've done this maybe you know this could be useful for you so uh, I think I approached them three or four months ago and um, they've since um, implemented a few of the features of the uh, the modem that I'm using for um, FreeDV700D. That's an uh, called an OFDM modem. Um, but there's uh, quite a few other features they could add. And hopefully, you know, we can improve the art of um, open source HF data, um, you know, above and beyond digital voice, but also for uh, transferring emails and things like that. Yeah, yeah, it definitely seems like a, a an interesting project over there. I didn't know it was has been going on that long. <laughs> I thought this was like a new mode to replace, I guess, Winmore, which is replacing what Pactor. Um, so uh, yeah, that's it's, it's still kind of all new to me since I'm I'm just now getting back into Winlink and uh, just kind of you know dumping through the uh, through the mailing list and <laughs> I happened to catch your name in there. I was like, oh, well, there's a, some conversation here. So that's really interesting that you've had such a kind of a, a longer history with that particular project. Yeah, it is great. It's great to give something back to and uh, to be able to share things. And these modems are hard. You know, um, people who can code modems and make them work is, uh, is a small church and it's even smaller on HF. So if we can work together, you know, we can really do some cool things. Yeah, absolutely. What other uh, what other uh, projects are you currently working on that we weren't able to find the uh, the hard and easy way? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, what I'm working on today is um, I'm doing using some Raspberry Pis to transmit data over HF. Um, so uh, there's a piece of software called RPiTX by a French ham. Um, but you can look that up. It's on um, a GitHub, and that turns your Raspberry Pi into a, a transmitter at various different frequencies just with software. The RF comes out of GPIO. Um, so you just put a little bit of a low-pass filter on that because it's, you know, it's a square wave coming out, and you've got a, a, a low-power transmitter. Uh, I'm interested in using that for HF data. Um, you know, Can we transfer um, files and things like that over a few hundred miles? Um, using something like a, a Raspberry Pi for a transmitter with perhaps a small power amplifier. And um, I'm playing around with using an RTO SDR as the uh, HF receiver. So uh, that's one of the projects I'm currently working on. Um, also, yeah, pushing gradually pushing FreeDV forward as well. I'm doing a little bit of work on um, a high-quality mode at a higher bitrate, but um, getting higher quality than, um, say, SSB uh, at, at high SNRs when it's not such a bad copy. Yeah, pretty cool. Um, Russ? 
<laughs> well, you burned out quick there, Bill. <laughs> I know. I'm, <laughs> I'm eventually going to figure out how these interview things work. <laughs> uh, but for now, I'm just going to push it back into your court. <laughs> uh, that's fine, I guess. Um, there's a couple other projects that you that you talked about a long time ago when we were talking, um, which we will probably get to or at least touch on briefly before we let you go. Um but Bill, you had you actually found something where um, it was mentioning his um, involvement in in Winlink. Was that all? Was it only the ARDOP stuff, or was it something else? Because I asked him about it yesterday, and he said he'd been contacted by the the Winlink guys, I guess, or the Win Modem guys, or so, or something like that. Did do you do you uh, recall that? Oh, I, I just found it in the uh, the mailing list from July. That conversation that he was having that we just talked about. Yeah, it had something to do with uh, the, with modems or something, and they wanted you to be involved with with modem technology or something like that. I can't remember exactly the question I asked and the response you gave me. Yeah, yeah, I was just um, talking to them about uh, using the the modem technology I'd developed, and maybe it could help them out with higher data rates. Okay, well, so is that related to Kodak two, or is that something else entirely? I'm just I'm just wondering, like, what which technology that you've been developing that they were interested in that could help out. This is the uh, Winmore Ardop guys. So, yes. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right, exactly. So that was basically the same thing. All right, sorry to read. Yeah, but. <laughs> yeah. I guess the I guess the thing was uh, at least that that stood out to me as well when I was reading that conversation was the fact that they're they're wanting to use uh, uh, Qualm to do the uh, signaling, uh, you know, the constellation type uh, signaling, so like QPSK or something like that. That's more. Uh, can handle more uh, lower signal to, to noise ratios and uh, still be recoverable. So I thought that was kind of interesting uh, from my uh, from my RF background in cable and, and cable modems and stuff like that. It was uh, it was kind of interesting to see them uh, trying to pick something more digital to uh, to use <laughs> <laughs> that 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 has its own set of problems and limitations. Uh, you know, and when they're looking at doing a a protocol or a modem to uh, to be a robust solution to deliver data in not the uh, best conditions. Yeah, that's right. They have a bunch of um, different. They they get to do QPSK, then QAM, and uh, different levels of bits. And sort of shifts gears depending on the uh, signal to noise ratio available. That's one of the big challenges they have. You know, when to send uh, at what bit rate. You know, if a packet doesn't go through, do you slow down? Things like that. So, from a quasi philosophical uh, philosophical angle. Um, it, it's not like there hasn't always been a desire to work another station during poor solar cycles or weak band conditions and things like that. But it seems like the art of communicating and weak signals and and uh, you know uh, signal to noise ratios of minus twenty five dB and things like that. The the ability to have communications when when basically communications aren't technically possible seems to be a driving force in the technologies that are being developed today so i mean did you notice that and do you i mean is there some reason why there's a surge in development in this area i think it's because we've got cycles available you know you can have a computer on your desk like the one we're using now that can do a, a lot of processing compared to what we had you know 10 or 20 years ago so now we can so we're going to do it <laughs> um from my point of view um it's been a bit of a challenge to try and get something competitive digital voice competitive with ssb ssb still works really well um but uh, what we've got now 
um, is something that works at, um, at least for a lot of people in a lot of cases at lower SNRs than SSB. So if you can't get through an SSB, you might be able to get through on FreeDV 700D. And there's people using that uh, around the world right now. Do you see voice continuing as a useful method of communication or do you think that data and digital will kind of take over because you can pack more information into a much smaller area? Um, I think there'll always be a place for voice. One thing I think that's kind of missing a bit from the ham radio community is something equivalent to text messages or SMS. Because that seems to be taking over, you know, short messaging, every other form of communication. Um, and so it'd be nice to see. Uh, we have these sort of canned message modes where you send your call sign and sure, you you, you know, you, you log the QSO, but you're not really having um, a talk. But uh, yeah, something that lets you sort of message people over ham radio would be a nice innovation. So the next uh, generation of uh, FT8 will be FT8R, where the R stands for rag chew, and that will be... <laughs> <laughs> well, FDA call, they have it already. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> First, you can only send, like, uh, I don't know, little short messages. Like, <laughs> what, about 140 characters? <laughs> uh, <yeah. laughs> I think it's a little less than that, actually. Yeah, I, I imagine so. But uh, it's kind of funny. All right. So, what else do we have? Oh, we have a couple of the other projects that you had been working on at least a long time ago. I don't know if you're still working on them, but you had a mesh technology uh, called Mesh Potato. Um, is that a, is that still a thing or has like the, the other mesh technologies that have uh, been developed kind of superseding that? Yeah, that's still going strong. Um, that was part of a project called the Village Telco and the, we built these, um, Wi-Fi based boxes with a, uh, a POTS telephony line. You know, you plug in a landline to one side of this box and the other side is a, a Wi-Fi radio and, um, that the idea was to provide um, telephony networks for villages in the developing world. But that project's still going strong, and the um, mesh potatoes are still out there being used. I think there's something like 10,000 or so have been made. Um, so, yeah, still moving along well. I'm not um, directly involved with it, but still in touch with uh, some of the people I started the project with. All right, fantastic. So I know you have uh, your hands on a lot of, uh, lot of things going on here, and a lot of them are based on i don't remember if it was your formal training but i think you're mostly involved in uh, sound research or audio research and things like that so everything you do kind of revolves around uh, audio in some way if i'm not mistaken yeah yeah the degree i did was in um, speech compression low bit rate speech coding and i'm uh, managed to dust that off and, and use it in the real world so that's been kind of <laughs> cool <laughs> well it's always nice to be able to use your area of expertise in the real world and make make something out of it yeah, that's right. So that's kept me pretty busy. Yeah, you didn't like go the liberal arts route and now hand out flowers on the sidewalk or something. I don't know if that's a thing in in Australia or not. But oh uh, yeah, I've had a few jobs like that as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, is there any uh, project or, or anything or any integration with the projects that you're working on that we haven't touched on um, that maybe we don't know about? Any uh, like super secret things you can tell us <laughs> no. uh, obviously <laughs> no. you're you're trying <laughs> to make this going, stuff as uh, po popular as possible you're not you're not really hiding anything because it's all in the open source world and you want it out there as much as possible so i know there's there's no secrets here but uh have we missed anything no that's uh, that's a pretty good coverage all right so um so what's the future of free dv and codec 2 that you see uh you know and what will the sm3000 be about uh, uh, yeah, good question. Um, I guess the current drivers to uh, we've actually got something here we've, with this 700D. We're beating SSB in one corner of its performance. 
at these very low SNRs. So the trick from there is to um, taking this modem that's working so well and the speech codec and see what we can do to push the quality up of the system. Um, you know, when it's RAG2 quality and can we get better quality than SSB there. So that's the current research drive. Um, and there's also some other work um, going on in taking what we've got and getting it running on embedded systems like the SM1000 um, and continuing to continue, continuing to play around with modems and things like that and just get uh, better quality open source uh, DSP code out there. So do you know if Kodak 2 is being used anywhere else other than Flex Radio? I mean, are there like repeater systems, like any like DMR stuff or, or anything that can handle other digital protocols also using the Kodak 2? There's nothing in widespread use, but what is really cool is a bunch of guys are grabbing this, hooking it up to an SDR and building their own systems and playing around on the bench or their local repeater. So there's a quite a lot of innovation, and these people um, write blog posts and pop up on the um, uh, on the Codec2 mailing list from time to time. So that, that kind of stuff's pretty cool. So what is the most interesting way you've seen Codec2 used? Uh, recently, there was an academic paper, um, stuff called WaveNet, which came out of Google, where they used a codec to encoder, and the decoder was basically sort of WaveNet-style speech synthesis uh, using machine learning and requires a, a couple of GPU cards to run, but the quality was amazing. It was uh, like the sort of quality we've got now or better at uh, 2,400 bits per second. So, you know, codec got, to, got used in academia to push the art forward. So what was the application there? Was it uh, text-to-speech or something? or Speech compression, just like we're using now. We're using a speech codec at the moment to talk, and uh, they were using it for the same application. Um, same thing I use FreeDV for, but they were getting quality, at um, which would normally take um, four or five times the bit rate. Well, wow, fantastic. So how much, how much further do you think uh, Codec 2 can go? I mean, how much compression can you get and still have... Uh, you know, intelligible language. Uh, I think we can push down to around 300 bits per second at sort of SSB radio type quality, you know, so something that would be uh, roughly equivalent to what we put up with on HF radio. Um, and at the high end, we should be able to get quality like we're using today at a couple of thousand bits per second. Oh, that sounds amazing. I can't wait to hear what it sounds like, you know, a 300 bit per second voice communication. <laughs> one, one that's a good high quality. Well, not high. It's not going to be high quality. It's not going to be HD radio or anything, but, uh, but to have decent speech, I, I assume it will, you can avoid a little bit of, you know, sort of roboticness at that level. Yeah, we should be able to get something that's um, comparable to, uh, you know, SSB. Uh, understandable. You can tell who's talking. You can tell what they're saying, but it'll have a few uh, artifacts in it. will be uh, a little bit objectionable to listen to, but, you know, enough to have a conversation on. All right, very good. Are there any plans for uh, any updates or uh, later releases of FreeDV? Are there any, uh, like, bug fixes or feature updates in the works? At the moment, it's going pretty well. Um, I don't know of any you know, major problems with the, the current release we put out a few months ago. So I think um, at this stage, we'll, rather than a maintenance thing, we'll, we'll see what happens in the, the algorithm development, you know, if we come up with something useful to use. Um, these things take a while too, like um, FreeDV 700D, the latest release. There's probably you know, over a 1,000 man-hours of effort in that. Um, they're not weekend projects. Um, so always looking for help if people like... C coding and want to learn a bit about DSP, feel free to contact me and there's always something to do. All right. That's that's a great thing. We'll uh, let you give some information about where people can contact you at the end of this. 
Uh, but thankfully, Don in the chat room has asked a question. So <laughs> now that we've run out of ours, we have one we can ask you. Uh, and his question is, this is from Don Casey9ZMY, by the way. And he asks, why do you need two sound devices? Um, and can the sound device, um, let's see, sound card and a USB headset. So he's asking, why do you need two sound devices? And can they be, you know, like a sound card and a USB headset? I know for a fact that can be a sound card and a USB headset, but why is it set up where you need two, um, DSPs, basically. Yeah, it just worked out easier with two sound cards. It is technically possible to use one if you can switch between the transmit-receive path, but um, when a USB headset is 5 or 10 bucks, you know, um, and a lot of rigs have the USB sound card built in already, it just makes it easier from a, a setup point of view. So it's just a matter of the sound, the audio path going in opposite directions and having to be able to switch bete- between the two and was easier to do with two devices? That's right, yeah, and get things like sample rates lined up. So when you're transmitting, your, your voice is going in the microphone on one sound card and coming out the uh, speaker on another sound card that gets put into the mic input of your radio, uh, your, your radio transmitter. Um, sure, you could probably get away with one if you had some analog switches or things, but um, that's a little bit uh, more difficult than just buying another sound card sometimes. I'm sorry, that cracked me up, Don said it because you need the Gazinta and the Gazauda. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's right, yeah. That's funny. Do you have any idea of uh like uh what kind of penetration you have with the free D V, like how many uh how many installs have actually been done over the years? No, I don't. And we don't really get any records uh from downloads. So don't really have any idea. Oh, that's interesting. Well it definitely sounds like we need to need to keep talking about free DV and getting it out there and maybe even possibly see a free DV, uh, QSO party out here in the future, uh, that can stir up some, uh, some international partying. Yeah. Well, there's some records to be had too. Um, you know, I don't know anyone who's gone across the Pacific, uh, say from here to the U S yet on free DV 700 D. And like I said, it outperforms SSB. So it's, uh, certainly pros- possible in a practical sense. Um, so, uh, there's a whole lot of, things that haven't been done with hf digital voice on the hand bands that uh, someone with the right station will be able to do even in these low band conditions yeah even you you even you russ you can uh, get your radio going over there <laughs> on six my, meters my radio is going <laughs> oh my six meter yeah yeah all right i i have a six meter radio you gave it to me it's sitting right here next to me <laughs> just doesn't have an antenna yet because i'm way too lazy to build one <laughs> Yeah, I'll get around to that someday. I was trying to get, you know, uh, Pat set up earlier, and I, I kind of got that working, so I guess we'll see. Yeah. Um, was, is this another question from Don? Was there talk about this going into a satellite? I thought I remember seeing, hearing something about it. I'm assuming he's talking about Codec 2 or FreeDV going, going on a satellite. Yeah, about a year ago, it went up on a um, a Chinese CubeSat from Harbin University in China, and um, they had... It was an FM uplink and then Codec 2 with a proprietary, well, not proprietary modem, but a, a different modem to what we normally use for free TV on the downlink. But you hook the whole thing up with GNU radio and um, a beam antenna. And, uh, yeah, we had a great time um, listening to ourselves on uh, Codec 2 from satellite as it uh, whizzed over. So this wasn't used for uh, an actual QSO or anything? Yeah, plenty of people used it for QSOs. It was just like using um, any other low-Earth orbit um, amateur radio satellite. So people were talking across the country on it. I think that because of its altitude, the the footprint was about probably a 1,000 miles, something like that. You could have QSOs over. Uh, You're using a lot of past tense here. Is this not possible anymore, or is it still out there? 
Lilac Sat One, I'd have to check. I'm not sure if it's still operational. The CubeSats have a pretty low life time uh, by intention. They don't want them uh, up there in space forever. It was pushed off the ISSS, and I, my understanding was their lifetime was about three months, but I haven't looked at it recently. Yeah, sometimes things go up into space that are supposed to be short term, and they wind up being there a while. Yeah, could still be there. Have a look around. <laughs> there was there was other issues about you know the the, the white points and rotations and things like that to, to whether you could hook up to it. But uh, it was kind of cool hearing uh, my own voice come back through coded via my own codec from space. Yeah, that definitely has to be a at least a little bit of a source of pride for sure. Yeah, that's true. Yep. And now the same university has put a satellite in lunar orbit. Um, it it uh, sort of hitchhiked on the back of uh, a more major a Chinese uh, lunar probe. And uh, there's hams sending and receiving telemetry from that satellite in lunar orbit. Although I don't think it's doing digital voice, this one. All right. That's that's kind of interesting. You don't hear a lot about satellites in lunar orbit. You hear a lot of ones, are, are, you know, in Terran orbit. But uh, <laughs> lunar orbit is not something you really talk about or or most people are even interested in. In fact, I'm not sure I've ever heard anyone mention it uh, up until today. Yeah, there's quite a lot about it uh, on uh, Twitter, some of the guys in the SDR scene. So, uh, yeah, just Google that, Harvard University, uh, Lunar Ham Radio Satellite, and that's uh, pretty cool. You need quite an antenna, I think, to pick it up because the signal's fairly weak, but um, a lot of people are, are managing to detect signals, and it's it's sending images via uh, slow-scan TV of the moon. Oh, that's fantastic. And we are expanding the art of weak signal transmission i mean <laughs> that's kind of where we're at right now so i'm sure pretty soon there'll be some linux-based technology where you can receive uh, sstv from the you know lunar orbit that that would be really cool actually now that i think of it yeah well that's what this is doing it's sending um, sstv images from the uh, for, of the moon from lunar orbit i gotta get me one of those pictures <laughs> <laughs> i think you're gonna need some uh, some beams yeah, I might need a little better setup here than I currently have. But <laughs> yeah, that's that's sort of more on that theme of weak signal because they don't get in too much weaker than from that destination. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, two hundred and eighty thousand miles is that what what it is roughly out there? Yeah, it's a bit better than EME though because it's just a one way trip from the satellite. But then again, the powers are very low, and um, just like the work. I've been doing this. It's this theme of good quality modems. Um, I, I helped them out a little bit with the modem that they're using to receive that signal from the satellite, and um, just getting all the getting the, the performance of the modem right. And because it can be uh, it can be software, we can make it free software, and get these really high quality modems out there, and they make such a difference. Um, you know, rather than putting a, a great big power amplifier on, you can upgrade your software and get 10 dB performance gain. Well, that that was a turn that I did not expect this conversation to go, but it's probably been most interesting part of it to me um yeah so i'm gonna have to start investigating uh lunar orbit satellites for uh, amateur radio that's that's really cool all right so i think we already asked you if we missed something and you kind of indicated we didn't so any other questions i i saw that jonas actually popped into the uh the mumble here so i don't know if he was uh, just wanting to listen through mumble or if he actually had a question to ask or just wanted to say hi or what uh Oh, just listening. Okay, good. good. <laughs> That's one way to listen. That is one way to listen too. Yep. If you're gonna, there's no more direct way. So, so do you have any more questions, Bill? Anybody else in the chat room uh, who's uh, listening on the live stream have a question for David that we uh, managed to skip over somehow? Um, I know the last time you said you, uh, we talked about your uh, electric Holden, if I remember correctly. <laughs> Oh, it's electric Daihatsu. <laughs> oh, Daihatsu. Daihatsu. That's right. That's right. It was a Daihatsu. Yeah. It's a little um, 
I'm not sure if you have them there. You probably had a similar car, but a little Daihatsu Charade. I've got uh, some pictures of it on my... Yeah, and I'm just out there um, just sort of maintaining it a little bit at the moment, actually, giving a bit of a trickle charge. Uh, some of the cells got a bit out of alignment. So I've been messing around with that this morning. We uh, here in the U.S. actually had Daihatsu. They they sold Daihatsus here um, for a little while. Um yeah, well, it's an old car ago. now. It's like 25 years yeah. old. So, um, But yeah. the old simple ones are good to convert to electric drive because there's, you know, you don't need a computer to switch them on. You know, you can just uh, <laughs> pull all that out and uh, put your own drive system in. I've got an electric boat now too, uh, solar-powered electric boat uh, that uh, I've been using on some local rivers and things. Well, you're always doing very interesting things, so it's fantastic to get a chance to talk to you again. Um so I appreciate you, uh, again, taking some time out of your, your morning because you're obviously busy. I mean, I don't know if you have a, an actual job or anything, but it, with all the things you're doing, whether you do or not, you're obviously uh, not lying around or sleeping much. <laughs> yeah, there's always something going on, that's for sure. All right. So um, we'll just throw it out one more time. Anybody else have any quick questions or anything they want to ask David before we uh, let him get on with the rest of his tomorrow, since uh, it's already tomorrow for you? So we'll just sit here and wait for people <laughs> to uh, <laughs> got the ten second stream delay. Yeah, wait, waiting for the gears to turn. <laughs> All right. Well, if anybody has any questions, feel free to pop them out. But in the meantime, uh, we'll start kind of winding this down and wrapping it up. And if you wouldn't mind, um, you've mentioned that uh, you're looking for people who are interested to help you out in submissions and things like that. So. If you could mention some websites or email addresses or anything you want to put out there, so people can find your projects and uh maybe email you or contact you yeah sure yeah just um if you just have a look at uh, free ev or codec 2 you'll see a contact page and that's got my email up on it or um post to the codec 2 mailing list uh and that's uh, easy to find as well and if you're interested in working on free ev in any way any other folks who uh do the development with you that you want to put out there and make them uh Smile a little bit because they got mentioned on a podcast that's listened to by all of seven or eight people. <laughs> sure. Yeah, there's a lot of people who help. Um, and um, there's a lot of people using FreeDV. There's teams all over the world. They're mentioned on FreeDV.org. Uh, and also there's some active developers going on uh, at the moment. Um, a few people um, who are doing constant work on things like the make file system. Uh, one's a gentleman by the name of Richard, uh, US Ham. Another gentleman I'm working closely at the moment uh, called Don, another US Ham, who's uh, working on the firmware for the uh, uh, SM1000. Uh, there are a couple of people who are, and uh, I guess another group of my local amateur radio club, um, Adelaide Radio Experimenters Group. Um, we do a lot of uh, well, I'm doing a lot of projects with them as part of the club on stuff like um, high-altitude balloon telemetry and other fun stuff, as well as free TV. All right, fantastic. Well, once again, David, I really appreciate you coming on, and hopefully we'll get a chance to talk to you about some new and interesting thing you're doing uh, in less than five years, because uh, that's a really <laughs> long time. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for having me on. Yep, and thanks for coming once again. Uh, we'll let you get back to... Uh, you're, you're tomorrow down there in uh, Adelaide. And, and where is Adelaide again? Is that New South Wales or? South Australia. South sort of Australia. In yeah. the middle of the country on the bottom. There's, there's only six provinces, right, or something like that? So Yeah, that's right. There's only uh, seven or eight uh, states and territories uh, in the country. <laughs> and they're pretty big, though, and, and a lot of desert. 
<laughs> I heard uh, that you guys are actually having some severe drought problems down there. I don't know if that's specific to your location, but I guess Australia in general is pretty dry right now. Yeah, that's right. Some of the farmers are doing it pretty tough at the moment, uh, starting to see a few of the effects of uh, climate change. All right. Well, that's a discussion we're not getting into. So uh, we'll, go- <laughs> <laughs> we'll go ahead and let you go, Dave. Thank- thanks once again. This has uh, been David Rowe, uh, Rotel.com and uh, Codec2 and FreeDV and all the other things you do, VK5DGR. Thanks again. We'll talk to you soon, I hope. Thank you. See you later. All right. Well, that's that's that. I guess we're uh, down just about to the end of the show. We do have a couple of bits we're going to tie up here at the end. One is an announcement, and that is just that we do have a Discord server. Uh, a few folks are trickling into the Discord server. So if you use Discord, or even if you don't, you could sign up and, and be a part of Discord. Um, there will be a link in the show notes. I believe there's been a link in previous show notes as well. Uh, that contains the infite, the, yeah, the infite, the invite <laughs> to no fighting yeah, yet, no infighting yet <laughs> to the Discord server. So uh, by all means, join us there. And the Discord server uses uh, Discord IRC to channel the communications from Discord into IRC and vice versa. So you'll be able to interact with anybody on either of those two modes. And we also had a bit of feedback on YouTube that I don't think we've addressed. This came in a few days ago. So uh, this is from Ken Hendrickson. Uh, and he asks, and I'm going to send this one over to Bill, So because it's about Bill's um, installation tutorial on Ubuntu. Uh, and he says, great series of videos. Unfortunately, the PPA route does not work with Ubuntu 18.04 LTS and distros based on it. Any suggestions? <laughs> <laughs> you fail no <laughs> no uh yeah we did uh, all the lhs builds with uh the ppa so uh the ppa still work uh the, you know you obviously have that capability by default because it's ubuntu um i would be interested to hear which what flavor or what you're actually running you might not actually be running ubuntu <laughs> you might be based you know running something sort of based on it that doesn't actually have um, the PPA, uh, um, software package or whatever. Uh, there's, there's, there's one package you have to have extra if you're not really running Ubuntu, uh, and one of the Ubuntu flavors. Um, so, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I would, I would think you're probably not running Ubuntu or you're doing something terribly wrong. Um, but, uh, yeah, I used the exact same setup and, uh, everything else for the LHS one, uh, v- V1 builds, which are, which I installed on, you know, Ubuntu 18.04 LTS, Kubuntu, Lubuntu, <laughs> Xubuntu, <laughs> uh, Budgie Ubuntu, any Ubuntu that they had available. So, uh, yeah, um, yeah, just get, get a hold of me directly if you're having any other issue with that. And I would be happy to, uh, happy to assist you out of that, uh, that rabbit hole you're in. All right. Very good. And Cheryl's back. Woo-hoo. You're no longer entertaining. No, she carried all your trash <laughs> out for you. Okay. No, we just pull up trash right here. There's trash right there. She, she carry carried out. four bags of trash out of the kitchen. Well, there's one more bag right there. Well, you can take it out in the morning. So. <laughs> All right. <laughs> no, we're, All right. We're, we're done our, with our baskets. So. All right. Very good. So. Awesome. We'll, uh, I think, let's go ahead and call this one done. I thought, thought it was pretty good, quite frankly. I think we well, learned some stuff. Absolutely. It doesn't always happen, but today it did. Yay. 
<laughs> wow, your enthusiasm is overwhelming. Yeah, there definitely needs to be a free DV QSO party. Yeah, we definitely need to do that. That'd be and it looks cool. like we're, we're going to have one here shortly. Yeah, I'm going I'm <laughs> to give it a try. I don't even know if I still have free DV installed on my computer over here, but I'm going to give it a whirl. All right, so that's the end of this episode of Linux in the Ham Shack. Thanks, everybody who listened, uh, who joined in the chat room, and we'll go through the chat room right now because we had quite a few people in there. We had Ted, W-A-0-E-I-R. We had Gene, B-X-8-A-A-D, Don, K-C-9-Z-M-Y, uh, Other Don, K-B-2-Y-S-I, uh, Raymond, V-K-4-T-D-X, Jim, V-E-5-E-V, Jonas Rulo, and a surprise appearance by Richard, KB5JBV. So, yeah, surprising. So, uh, thanks to everybody once again, and we hope you will tune into the next episode, which should be on Monday. It'll be episode number 243. We are skipping um, the next weekender uh, due to time constraints and other issues. Uh, so, check us out in a week, and we'll be back then. So, for now, I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD, 73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the program by visiting the LHS Patreon page of patreon.com stroke LHS podcast or using the contribute link on the website. Get in touch via social media. The show has a presence on Google+, Facebook, Twitter, Discord and YouTube. Or you can drop an email to info at lhspodcast.info or record a voicemail at 1-909-LHS-SHOW. That's 1-909-547-7469. Visit the IRC channel, LHS Podcast, on the Freenode IRC network. Also visit the online merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable LHS merchandise. Become an ambassador and represent LHS at a Linux convention or ham fest. Email ambassadors at lhspodcast.info or visit the website for details. The podcast is recorded live every Monday night at 8 o'clock p.m. Central Time. Connect to the stream at stream.blacksparrowmedia.net colon 8008-LHS-LIVE. Until next time, over and out.
Linux in the Ham Shack in the Linux in the Ham Shack logo are released under a Creative Commons Attribute Non-Commercial No Derivatives 4.0 International License.